Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I've got a great guest today. He's at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. He's a research scientist named Vivek Mutalik. I hope I pronounced his name right. Um, we're going to look at uh, microbes and the, the phages that prey upon them and uh, how this all goes. And uh, Vivek, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for the uh, invitation. This is a, a great uh, platform to be in. Yeah. Well, tell me about your, your research. What are you studying in particular? Um, I'm, a, I'm a biochemical engineer, um, synthetic biologist. I develop tools and technologies to study bacteria, uh, how they adapt to environment, uh, survive in one environment. Uh, one of the key things that I'm currently working on is how they survive phage, uh, uh, phages and how they defense, put up the defense to resist phages. Um, there are different ways phage infect the bacteria and there are different ways bacteria responds to phages. And I'm looking at all aspects of this interaction um, and understanding the mechanisms. And these are, there are multiple downstream applications of studying these. If anyone doesn't know, phages are viruses that prey upon bacteria specifically. So um... that is absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, the, these are, these are sort of very uh, um, s- small entities. There are huge diversity of them. They are the largest entities on earth um, and they grow on bacteria uh, for survival. Um, and uh, we, we know that they are there everywhere uh, from ocean water to uh, the soil, but, and even human gut, gut back, even a gut environment. Uh, but we still do not know what do they do, how they impact the microbial uh, dynamics, how they impact the bacteria around us and how do they sh- give a function to this microbiome yeah I, you know it's funny i just thought that it was just one phage or one type of phage would prey on one type of bacteria but i've heard that many different phages can infect a given bacteria is that what what you've discovered that's right yeah so the, the, there are different phages which are very specific they are very specific to the strain level they only infect one particular strain of a bacteria there are some phages they are really broad host when I say broad host, they can infect a really lot of diverse, uh, different strains of different bacteria. Um, yeah, we have we have a both the both the flavors in the lab, so we try to isolate them uh, from wastewater treatment plant. Uh, we isolate them from soil and environments, and each of them come up with their own um, um, mechanisms to infect. And yeah, we don't know how this um, specificity, which we call like infecting only specific bacteria to broad host range, how that happens and what are the design rules uh, these phages come up with? How do they infect so many and some of them infect only few? So we don't know those designs. Uh, That is what the key focus of the phage um, biology is uh, at some aspects of engineering. Can we use these understandings to engineer the phages? What are some of the commonalities you see in phage bacteria interactions? Yeah, the commonality is a phage, uh, when you take a phage a bacterial virus and then in, uh, put it with, together with the f- bacteria, 
uh, there is a always a you know fight between them uh, to infect the other, get getting over the other. The phage try to infect bacteria, bacteria try to respond to it, and this fight has been going for a lot of generations. And then the challenge is um, understanding this: are there any generalities uh, among these interactions? Some of the key things that we are uncovering in our work is uh, the phage. Uh, can come up with a different ways to infect the bacteria, but bacteria has so many different possibilities to resist phage. It can come up with the, uh, um, you know, ways to, when phage infects, it, it inserts its DNA into the bacterial cell, but bacteria can have enzymes which can degrade this DNA. It can have uh, some mechanisms which will put as a barrier um, to so that the phage cannot grow into the cell. But the phage comes up with new ways, new ways to overcome those barriers. So what we are finding is there are some very common things like bacteria come up, comes up with something called cholanic acid. This, this is in E. coli, that is a very routinely used lab horse organism, uh, which is, in, which is uh, isolated from human, human gut. And this bacteria makes up something called a gooey substance, which we call mucoidy substance around the cell wall. Um, so the phage cannot interfere. Imagine it's like a barrier uh, around the house where the thieves cannot get, get in. These kind of defense mechanisms are very general. And they have seen across the board, people suffering from cystic fibrosis who have a lot of mucus in their lungs can help or impact the phage infection. So there are a variety of ways the bacteria responds to uh, stress conditions. Oh, the, mu the mucus, uh, yes, what traps the viruses so that they can't move. Well, they don't move on their own. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, they get stuck there. And some of the work that has been done shows that that impact, mucus condition impacts the phage infection. Um, sometimes it's beneficial and sometimes it's interfering the infection. Do um, bacteria, I mean, do they tend to be in biofilm form or individual? And, you know, what's the phage dynamics look like if it's attacking a biofilm versus a, a solo bacteria? Yeah, those are some of the interesting stuff that around this area has been like phage have these tails like a landing pads um, um, and these landing pads will determine where they infect, uh, which organisms they infect. These, these are called tail fibers. At the end of the tail fibers, there are um, enzymes which will help in um, you know, degrading the cell wall of the bacteria so that phage can insert its DNA. Um, and... Um, there are examples where these phages also have enzymes on the tip of their tail fibers, which will degrade the biofilm. Uh, the biofilm is a mixture of DNA and, uh, you know, of the bacteria, and then a lot of bacteria that are there, uh, sort, of a, sort of a complex entity. And the phages to infect particular bacteria, uh, it has to break open this biofilm around the cell so that it can get, put the DNA into the into the bacteria. So there are enzymes around the tips, which will help in degrading this uh, substance around the cells. Are you able to capture any of this behavior, um, you know, using light microscopy? I yeah. mean, how, how do you know what's going on? Yeah, so out? yeah, in my lab, we don't really uh, do the microscopy. We collaborate with people, uh, researchers in the lab. Um, but my key focus of the research right now going on is um, how do we understand uh, the bacteria response at a genome scale, like what are the defense mechanism it has, which will defend the bacteria from the phage uh, infection. That means phage comes up with the mechanism to kill the bacteria, but back, what, what are the different, different mechanisms bacteria has? 
to resist phage. It's called phage resistance. And it is very important to understand those mechanisms uh, because uh, if patient is suffering from antibiotic resistant infection, we give them a phage. Um, so we don't work with patients, but we collaborate with uh, other researchers who work with patients. But patient comes with infection, we give them a phage, and the patient responds by uh, clearing up the infection because phage goes and kills the infection. Now here comes that. That is so is your, is your end game to uh, introduce phage therapy to help people? Or like what's, what do you want to have happen with your research? Yeah, we, we are working at the more foundational uh, level where understanding these design principles so that we can, we can engineer these phages such that we can use them for phage therapy, biocontrol measures, either diagnostics. But one of the key challenges in this field has been it is not easy to engineer a phage because we don't understand the design rules. Like there are multiple barriers here. One is we don't understand how the infection happens. We don't understand how the bacteria responds. And then we understand these two things. We don't understand what the gene entity of the phage itself, like what phages, uh, what is the gene function of the phage genomes? What are the, essentially, which genes of this phage encode what function? We don't understand that. Um, so understanding the entire, the concept, it is very difficult to engineer them. The applications definitely are phage therapy and biocontrol and diagnostics, uh, using phages for diagnostics. Uh, but to do that efficiently, to really understand the potential of this, we need to understand the foundation. That's what we are working on. Understand the foundation first, but the end goal is um, um, using them uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a tool, not only to get rid of pathogens which are registered antibiotics, but also to use them to manipulate the microbiome uh, so that we can get rid of specific pathogens in a pool of bacteria. So not touching the, path, not touching the healthy microbes but right, but yeah. So to, to do to do that, we need to really understand this interaction to the precision, so that we can design these tools uh, such that they are precision, more precise, and we understand how they work. Yeah, you want to kill the ones you want to kill, and preserve the ones you want to preserve. I Absolutely. Yep. Why Why would you have to engineer a phage if they're already there? Why not just preferentially culture a given phage and then you know put it with the bacteria you don't want and have them swarm and destroy those bacteria. That is totally, that is the current, uh, current practice. People are trying to isolate phages um, so that they, they don't have to really engineer. So one way, one way, one interesting angle or one, one opportunity here is by doing engineering, we will know more. That is one thing, which is just a foundational aspect to it. But also that I think we, we want to engineer them such that, um, we don't have to go through discovering every phage for every first. So let's imagine um, somewhere around the world, we find a pathogen which is really resistant to antibiotic. Of course, we can go and invest and identify phages which kill this phage uh, bacteria. But it is possible in the future that you know, I, can, I can just do computational analysis. We know the sequence of this pathogen. Once we know the sequence of this pathogen, can I identify which phage to pick from my library so that I know it can go and kill this pathogen. So we are not there yet. So understanding and developing these engineering principles will help in de de delivering these tools at much more precise way. At the same time, we also have new tools coming up like CRISPR and uh, other genome engineering technologies. These can be used to really deliver a payload. So let's say if I want to, if I want to um, impart a functionality to a microbe, 
uh, I want the microbe to do a function in a microbiome context. I need to deliver something like a payload. So to deliver a payload, I need to understand what is the gene content of the phage itself. Then I can engineer them such that I can deliver either a fluorescent gene, for example, so that I can understand better, or it can be it can be a, a toxic gene such that when it delivers, only that particular microbe uh, efficiently dies. There is no resistance mechanism to this phage. So there are multi multiple angles to uh, using the engineering principles um, for phages. Yeah. Well, I thought phages are the masters of uh, getting material inside of bacteria. Yeah, I mean it is it is. It is amazing and it is just a, um, um, it's, it's a mesmerizing to look at every phage. Every phage has its own story. Uh, and when you look at these stories, they're all like, like awesome um, stories, the, how they enter the phage, how they cheat the phage, they hijack the bacteria. The phages infect the bacteria. And every attack of a phage on a bacteria is like a story on its own. Uh, they, they have perfect roots once they, once they got through the roots of those infection, um, how they hijack the machinery of the bacteria uh, so that they can multiply more. Um, this is predator and prey interaction is just amazing to read about and learn and do those experiments. Well, in a given environment, what do you think is the long-term dynamic between a, a given phage and its bacteria host? I mean, are they both evolving, evolving, evolving a lot over time? Or is it more like, you know, the phage is killing, the bacteria is dividing? Is it just a race of numbers? Or is there a lot of change going on? Like in our gut, if I have a given bacteria that's been in there for years, I can't imagine that it would keep changing and changing and changing and changing. So with the phage, I would think they would settle down to this, I don't know, maybe ongoing relationship where no one wins, but they are still battling. Yeah, I mean, those, those, are, those are fantastic questions. And we don't really understand exactly how this whole thing is. That we know what, what we know is there is a race. There is a race to whether infect or to overcome that infection. There is always a constant race between phage and bacteria. But how this whole works out in an environmental context, we still do not know. That is mean community dynamics, how the, how the co-evolutionary aspects impact the community dynamics. We're still trying to understand it because of the genomics technology, sequencing technology, we started to address those questions, but still we are not there yet. So to, just to give an example, one of my colleagues works in UC Berkeley, uh, Professor Kim Seed, she works on Vibrio cholera where patients who infected with Vibrio cholera have, these, um, have this Vibrio cholera bacteria and then also their phages. And in patients, they find this phage and bacteria constantly together. Uh, and people are try trying to understand how this whole uh, these are lytic phages, how they infect the bacteria and how the bacteria responds to them. And what is the, what is the co-evolutionary co dynamics between them and um, on a larger scale at the population scale, how this whole plays out. And we, people, are, research are still trying to figure this out. We're not, we don't have the answers yet. Yeah. Well, can you tell, I mean, have you, have you tried to, let's say you sequence a given bacteria and, you know, a given phage type that infects it. You let it hang out in a dish for a while and, you know, attack each other and, you know, feed them both, keep them going. Then you sequence them again. Then you do it again, you sequence them again. Have you tried that and seen over time? Yeah. Drift yep, absolutely, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. These are classic exp experiments people have done on some of the phages, not a lot of them, but some of the phages definitely they have, they have done this exact experiment uh, and then measured it. And what they find out is there are mutations which we understand happening in phage, in host, on the bacterial side, we find that 
there are mutations at the receptor. These receptors are the proteins the phage uses to infect a bacteria. It's like a door, uh, entry door to the bacterial cell. So they find these mutations at the door or a receptor. On the phage side, they find mutations at the, at the tail fibers I spoke about. Uh, so there is a multiple, multiple mutational space and we don't understand exactly the entire landscape of those mutations, but these are the main, main two, two parameters. What we do is we don't do, these are, these are evolutionary experiments. What we are doing on the other hand is uh, we are creating these mutations priori. That means I am creating the genome-wide deletions um, by creating, using a method called TNC, transpose sequencing, saturated mutagenesis. That means if I take an E. coli and I delete individual genes in E. coli, and there are 4,000 odd genes in E. coli. If I delete individual genes and I barcode them, now we can identify these barcodes. Where are these barcodes or deletions happening? So once we have those addresses of barcodes or deletions, now I can consider them uh, like a, uh, like a pool of organisms. So I can take all of them as a single pool because I know these barcodes and the deletions happening on the genome. These are the engineered strains. Now I take this, a pool of deletion library, and then I add phage to it. So most of the organisms get killed, only few survive, and we collect the survivors, and we ask a question, why are they surviving the phage attack? And now we find out, okay, there are deletions in the, deletions in the receptor that phage cannot uh, infect those. There are deletions in the metabolic genes, uh, genes that are involved in the metabolism, genes involved in some kind of a, a outer membrane structure. So these experiments give us a complete map of genome-wide changes that interfere with the phage infection. So the other way to look at it is we can do evolutionary experiments where we put together phage and host and then see what changes happen. The other one is to do these kind of genome-wide genetic screens where we ask the same question, but we are looking at much more um, in, a, in, a, in a constrained environment where you're asking question, how does this change impact phage infection? Does that make sense? Can, yeah. Can, if you look at a given phage, can you tell what kind of bacteria it can infect by looking at its structure or its genome or, um, or is there no way to figure it out? Like, are you surprised a lot of the time or is it pretty well understood? Okay, the phage has these genes. It's going to be able to affect these kinds of bacteria. No, I, uh, the answer is no. You know, it is such a big gap in this, in this whole field. If you give me a phage, I can sequence it. But by sequencing, there are tools people use to identify the host. It's a prediction. And the prediction is really bad. It is not really um, reliable. And in fact, I should say that we have the prediction tools to take multiple different uh, approaches to predict the host and phage uh, host range. But these predictions are not very well uh, validated, first of all, and they are not very good on conditions which they have been validated. So, and the reason is we don't understand uh, what, what determines a phage uh, specificity or we don't understand exactly which strains does it infect. And there are multiple ways to approach this problem. We are addressing some of them, like understanding the gene function of the phage itself. Uh, by understanding that, we will understand how they how they grow themselves and which conditions are, you know, amenable for them to replicate. So to answer your question, right. yeah, totally. This is an open-ended question, and it is fascinating approach uh, opportunity for all of us to work towards. You know, I've heard in people that um, you know about eight percent of our DNA looks like it came came from viruses that were endogenized. What about bacteria and phages? I would think they would be sharing a lot of DNA or RNA. I mean. Over time, 
the back, I mean, the virus, I think, would take some of the DNA from the bacteria and vice versa. Like, like how similar do they end up being? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I think, I think uh, we know some aspect of it. Like, we know that some of the genes, like a tRNA, which codes for, uh, you know, it's RNA, which helps in a translation or a protein formation. We, we know that phages carry them, but we don't understand why some phages carry some and why phage, some phages do not carry any. Um, and there are some antibiotic resistance genes people have found out in phages. Um, there are some other hijack mechanisms the organisms have, uh, phages have taken up from bacteria. Um, but majority, if I sequence a phage, around 80 to 90% of the genes do not have any similarity in the entire gene pool data we have on bacteria or a phage. That means tomorrow, if I sequence a phage, I have only 10% of these genes I can annotate. That means I can give some random function to it. So to answer your question, if it is derived entirely from bacterial genome, we would have known the function. So we don't know the entire landscape of this function of a phage. And maybe they're getting from uh, organisms, but maybe they're evolving much faster and then changing them to adopt the, their uh, lifestyle. So what, um, I don't know, what have you learned about uh, phages and this interaction with bacteria that just amazes you? Yeah, one of the one of the amazing thing is um, the way the the breadth of the resistance mechanisms the bacteria can have against the phage, um, and and the, how the the challenge becomes how do I engineer a phage such that it can take into account all all of these defense mechanism bacteria has. So you know, it's amazing is um, the phage, the host can bacteria can have, you know mutate the receptor it can change the its membrane, it can change a metabolic gene, it can change its growth uh, um, cycle. And if I consider all of this, um, it's it just amazing uh, sort of a routes for get, getting a resistance to a phage. And that is just um, mind blowing to me. Like we know how this thing happens for antibiotics, like antibiotic resistance people have studied for decades now. We know the general mechanisms, how this bacteria responds to antibiotics and resists to resistance, show the resistance. We don't know this kind of information for phages. And that's what we are working on. And that is what is, is amazing to see different ways the bacteria can come up with the resistance ways, resisting the phages. Well, are there some phages that, I mean, you said there's lytic phages, ones that will go in there into a bacteria, multiply, blow it open, and yep. then go into other bacteria. But there's also, I guess, what, lysogenic? That they hang out inside the bacteria and don't kill it, but they they'll stay with it for a period of time. Yep. Yeah. These are called temperate phages. These phages uh, go into the different route, and there are some phages which are in the in the middle where they are not lit. They they are not they are not they are not temperate, but they are in the middle. Um, yeah. There, there are a variety of ways um, the phage uh, cycle growth cycle happens. This is the classical. People have studied this these aspects of it we still are still understanding what are the different switch mechanisms between these um, lytic to temperate, how, how these um, cycles change and what are, the, what are the genes that control these. And there are some rules known, but not really, all are not known. Yeah, what do you think drives a lytic response versus a lysogenic one? Is it the bacteria deciding? Is it the phage deciding? Like who runs the show? Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating question. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think I think what we have found out uh, over the years is that the cellular growth it itself can be a stimulus. Let's say there is a stressful condition, and uh, let's say it's an antibiotic or just a nutritional starvation of a bacteria can activate a, 
a prophage, that is a phage which is integrated into the genome, can become a, it goes into the lytic mode. And uh, it, it can be a DNA damage as acts as its own signal for a phage to pop out of the genome of the bacteria and kills the bacteria and gets out and infects others. Yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, it's, it's all, yeah, some, some rules are known for very classical phages, but and on the larger scale, what are the global rules across all the lytic phages and temperate phages? We, we're still trying to understand those. What about when a bacteria is dividing? What happens to the, um, the phages and do they come along for the ride and just hang out? And do they, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many phages are inside a given bacteria. Let's say there's like two, you know, does one phage go with one bacteria that divides the other and the other? Like, what have you seen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some, so some studies are like uh, done on T4 phage on E. coli. That is very well studied phage. Um, they have uh, studied this infection on a diverse conditions. It can be pH, salts, um, you name it, all kinds of conditions, temperature or a cell cycle of a bacteria where it is, it's, it's exponential phase or a stationary phase. And they have found out there is a lot of difference in the infection at the exponential where when the bacteria is growing rapidly to the stationary phase where it is not super growing super fast. Um, so there are different, different barriers to the phage infection. And we don't understand exactly uh, how, what are these constraints of infection are. So one way to do is take, let's say, 100 phages on 100 different hosts and study them across the board on hundreds of conditions which are relevant ecologically in the lab. Uh, that is one of the things that we started to uh, go towards recently using these genetic tools we have and asking a very broad kind of questions where um, how, what conditions of a host impact the phage infection, whether it is a growth cycle or the conditions like a nutritional stress, or it can be just a, just a, a sort of a temperature or a more abiotic conditions. Or, and there are much more broader complex questions are what happens if there is a temperature or a pH impact? And, and then also there is another predator also killing the bacteria. So there's a phage killing the bacteria, but there's also, let's say, protozoa killing the bacteria. And we, these complex interactions, these are not only pairwise, but they are multi-combination. Multi and these are complex interactions, which are difficult to study, but we are, that is where we are going towards with the tools we have. Hey, you know what you should do is like, um, you should have a biofilm and then you should take some uh, bacteria and you know, deliberately infect them with a given phage and then put them next to the biofilm. And let's say they're the same bacteria that make up the biofilm and see if they become part of it or if the biofilm rejects them. It'll be interesting. It's like, you know, in, in high school, will they be on the baseball team? Will they be forced to sit on the bench and reject it? If you did that to different bacteria, put them together, like, you know, let's say there's a certain ones that form a biofilm every time you put them together in given conditions, but you infect different parts of them with different phages and then put them together and see if they still do that or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a fascinating ex experiment to do, exactly. Also, whether the phage, presence of phage itself will stimulate a biofilm formation, you know, it can be the both ways, whether phage, That's true. in presence of phage, maybe bacteria comes up with its own defense mechanism, which is formation of biofilm, or biofilm is the source for phage to infect, because some phages are known to, you know, they like biofilm, they bind to it, degrade it, and it's both ways. Yep, definitely. That's a good experiment. Huh. Are there phages that cause the dissolution of a biofilm? Has that ever been observed? Yes. Yeah. Those, that's what I was oh. telling about. These are the tail fibers. And on the tip of the tail fiber, there are enzymes which will help in breaking down this uh, or dissolve the biofilm. 
and that is one of the one of the key application for some of the things people are working on whether it is wastewater treatment plant or it can be a cystic fibrosis or uh, you name it there are multiple applications to understanding how the biofilm and phage interactions happen and how the phage gets over it yeah i see why this is so important because yeah right if you have uh, biofilms clogging up pipes in a wastewater plants Yep. You can introduce certain phages that they cause them to break up naturally or poke holes in them. That's one strategy or, you know, or vice versa. You want to biofilm the form or, yeah, we need to figure out these interactions so we can, we can use them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is a crucial for not only just for a application wise, but also understanding much, much more dynamics, microbial community dynamics happening in the gut or on the plants or in agricultural farms, how, how, how the presence of a biofilm can impact, uh, whether it is a viral viral infection or bacteria, which is a pathogen, uh, can be forming a biofilm and it is more virulent in that environment. Well, the, the viruses are, are probably too small to, I mean, they're usually too small to see under regular light microscopy, but the bacteria may not be. So are there any, um, I don't know, bacteria phage behavioralists where you do different things to bacteria and you watch them under light microscopy and you can still literally see maybe changes in behavior and structure and things like that. And not always just, you know, I know you're approaching it from a genomic standpoint, but yeah. is there anyone that's approaching it from this more macroscopic standpoint and looking at behaviors? For me? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and you, you can also see these uh, electron microscope images from 1980s and 70s, beautiful pictures where you can see uh, phages, you know, exploding from a, um, uh, in a bacterial cell and people have done a lot of work around this. Researchers have spent a lot of time on this work. Um, we are asking more on the more on the genomic side, um, and there are a lot of research groups working on understanding how the structure uh, of the tail fiber, what are the interactions of the tail fibers with the with the bacterial cells. Yeah, you can see a light microscopy. You can see microbes, bacteria, definitely, but not phages. Uh, and uh, so there are, you need a more sophisticated sample prep for electron microscope and understanding um, the interactions between them, structural point of view. Um, Do, um, I know that like cells in our body have like, you know, extracellular vesicles for communication and bacteria, I guess, I don't know whether they use plasmids or do they use their own like EVs for communication? And is anyone looking at, you know, changes in that, like change, how quorum sensing is affected, how bacteria signaling is affected based on phage activity? Yeah, yeah. These are recent papers coming out from multiple groups now that bio, the, the, the quorum sensing, um, the phages also started to have a, some signaling mechanisms that they, and they are, when there is a quorum sensing happening, they can also sense it. At the same time, the bacteria can quorum sense based on the presence of phages. There are both ways. And these are very fascinating studies coming out from multiple research groups on this topic. So what do you think you're going to be able to shed light on in your group over the next few years? Like what are some of the big questions that you want to answer? Yeah, there are two, actually not two, but three main questions that we are following. One is understanding this foundational aspect of interaction, understanding the resistance of phage, understanding how the phages are impacting, interacting with the phage and how do, that is one aspect. The second aspect is how do we engineer phages? Uh, and to un- understand how do we engineer phages, we are working on understanding the gene function of phages itself. Um, that is the second aspect. At the top of those three main two goals is the connection between these foundational and engineering aspect. Uh, in the US, there is literally uh, no facility or I'm working at the national lab. So national labs are known for more of a user facility and they are much bigger science, not a single PI 
centric projects, but much more, much more of bigger, big science funded by Department of Energy uh, and some of the other funding agencies. But national labs are run on the bigger science. And one question that we are working on is, can we come up with a phage foundry where we are connecting these foundational research that we are doing with engineering principles that we are coming up with um, and connecting these two such that uh, we understand these phage and host interaction at a scale where we can start to build predictive models, understanding how the infection works in a, in a particular environmental context. What happens in an environmental context that impacts these two? Can we manipulate these interactions um, such that we can work on beneficial outcomes, come up with the beneficial outcomes? Can we understand the phage host, uh, uh, the host range of a phage? And then second one is, how do we predict a phage once the host is sequenced? Can we identify a phage such that I can quickly deliver and deploy this phage? So this is some the connection of these all these ideas, what we are calling a phage foundry, where there'll be a seamless technology is going through this pipeline such that we can engineer phages um, towards the application that is in demand. And, and the, the advantage of all of this kind of these technologies is to develop, use this phage as an engineering tools to study microbiome, uh, we don't understand the microbiome, microbial communities, how are they interacting? So to, as a tool to engineer microbiome and also to understand microbiome so that we can you know, offer more therapeutic um, solutions to variety of problems. Um, so using a phage, not only for microbiome work, but also to eliminate a pathogen, which is also a big deal. Uh, considering this COVID situation, uh, patients are suffering from secondary infections and they're also infecting with antibiotic resistant bacteria. Uh, so there are multiple avenues to these technologies that we're developing where can be used for therapeutic potential, foundational research and diagnostic uh, uh, any uses. Okay, well, very good. Vivek, what, what's the best way for people to find out more about uh, you know, the work at NLL and your work as well? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm very active on the Twitter, um, on the science aspect of it. Also on a global um, alertness about the antibiotic resistance and phage uh, research. Um, best way to reach out uh, to me is my lab website. I think it's on your page uh, attached there. Um, also, I'm a national lab scientist. Uh, and yeah, you can find me if you Google my name, you, my, you'll find my publications and you can reach out to me through that. Okay, well, very good. And your name, just for listeners, spelled V-I-V-E-K. Last name is M-U-T-A-L-I-K. Telling. Yep. So that perfect. That's great. Vivek, thanks for coming on the call. It was really interesting. I appreciate it. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.